I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. As one of the more fickle wine grapes to grow, committing to the production of Nebbiolo can be a true labor of love. Nebbiolo has a long growing season. It will flower early, but ripen late, increasing the time during which things can go wrong. It needs a lot of sunlight and usually will get the south slopes with great exposure, but it also needs wind protection and prefers a certain elevation. And if it rains after the grapes turn red, the quality can tank. Nebbiolo is picky about the climate and soil types it will grow in, but when it chooses to grow in a particular soil, it is extremely expressive of even the slightest micro-expressions of the soil. The buds are also picky. Often the first ones are infertile, so in the vineyard you have to account for this with more space. In the post-Phylloxera era, much thought needs to go into rootstock selection as well. And in the Lange, rootstocks that can withstand high amounts of active lime are a necessity. As an older grape variety that is centuries and possibly millennia away from its mother plant, Nebbiolo mutates easily and has many clonal variations. Some of Nebbiolo's offspring have even been confused as clones. Its etymology most likely comes from the Latin word nebbia, which translates to mist and is also a root word for nebulous. nebulous. Its name could have come from the white, misty bloom that forms on the grapes before harvest, or from the mists that rise from the Tenero River around harvest time. Much like its namesake, the details of where it originated are a bit foggy. There is a mention of Nebbiolo in 1266, and it is certain that Nebbiolo was popular in the Lange at least by the 1430s, and probably much earlier. In 1431, Nebbiolo was so important that a statute in the Statuti di La Mora noted that cutting down a Nebbiolo vine would result in a substantial monetary fine. If it happened again, you could be hanged or get a hand chopped off. I've actually seen this happen when people try to take more than their fair share of Levy's bottle of Nebbiolo. Hands off the Nebbiolo. Consider yourselves warned. <clears throat> like much of the rest of Europe, the Lange area, and to some extent production of the grape, suffered on multiple fronts with phylloxera and World War I, the Great Depression, fascism, World War II, and then a mass exodus of population to the cities. But despite all these historic blows one after the other, like the fog it's named after, Nebbiolo has risen above all the conflict and experienced a great revival in the second half of the 20th century. Though Nebbiolo doesn't experience the same popularity as, say, Cabernet Sauvignon, the world has shown a great interest in it, and plantings can be found in Austria, Australia, California, Mexico, Virginia, Argentina, Chile, and, of course, in Barbaresco. Keep listening to learn more about the secrets of Nebbiolo, Barbaresco, and making wine in a small family winery in northern Italy.
It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand danilo nada of fiorenzo nada on the show today hello sir how are you I'm very good, thank you. So your family makes wine in the Barbaresco area and specifically has significant holdings in Trezo. Yeah, right. So we are historically based in Trezo since 1921 when my great-grandfather, Carlo, bought the property there. The property was an estate of 60 acres, so 25 hectares, and was 100% based on Rombona crude. And this is where... There is where my father and my grandfather, they start the company Nada Firenze. Uh, they build the winery there. And the beginning was in a state of six hectares. And then in years 90, we moved a little bit in, on Manzola. So we, we took a new property there. And starting from 2013, there was, a, there was this news. So we, we start to making wine on Monte Ribaldi too. So from 1921, basically to... 2012, we were based only in Trezo Village on these two crew, Manzola and Rombone. And starting from 2013, we, we are making wine in Barbaresco Village too, uh, on the crew Montaribaldi. So Carlo Nada actually purchased 25 hectare back then, but you guys don't have that much now. So what happened in the middle of those two things? Carlo, my great-grandfather, he had four sons and three daughters. And so um, the four sons, they took 25% each of the property. I see. But almost all of them, they, they, don't, they didn't want to continue the, the, the work with the, with the wine. Because if we think about the Langa today, it's a very beautiful region, highly rated, great wines. People live a very good life. But in the beginning of the last century, it, it wasn't like that, absolutely. The countryside life was quite hard. Um, they didn't have a machine to that make work instead of them. So the... The work was very hard. Life was very hard. And many people tried to, to leave the, the countryside, to go in the cities, looking for a better life. And part of the family did that. But another part, as my grandfather, Fiorenzo, they were very connected, very linked to the mother soil of Rambone. So they decided absolutely to stay there. And who else bottles a Ramboni today? Today we are the only one. We are not the only one growing grape on Rambone, but we are the only one bottling Rambone as a single vineyard. So Rambone is in Trezo, and how should I understand Trezo as a part of the Barbaresco zone? We need to think about, it has not ever been a village Trezo, but actually until 50, 1955 was Barbaresco. Even the village was called Barbaresco there, so my father, he was born in 1951, and on the ID you can read, uh, born in Barbaresco. Mm-mm-mm. Um then they decided to divide the, the, the two villages, but was nothing concerning about wine. At the moment, we have a different terroir, of course, but we need to think about Trezo as in two different ways. So there are two, mainly two different parts of Trezo. One is the highest part that is close to the center of the village. There we are, the altitude is higher. We are right to 400 meters and, and, and up. The, the grower there has a lot of dolcetto, white wines too, Barbera. And also Nebbiolo, but going up and up to the border is always 
higher and higher. So the autumn sometimes are, are very fresh there. And then there is a lower part where we are, so where there are Rombone Manzola and other crews, for example, Valerano too. There, the altitude is around 280, 250, 230 meters. So we're talking about probably 700 feet, 800 feet. And there we have, of course, a different microclimate. The summer, but especially the autumn, is warmer than up in the, in the town. And so there we don't find biggest part of Dolcetto, but more Nebbiolo than Dolcetto. So Ramboni is not particularly close to the town of Trezo, and it's not as high as some of the elevation vineyards of Trezo, which can get pretty high. Yeah, right. So we find Rambone belong to Trezo, but is right on the border with Barbaresco village. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and it's on the border of Trezo and Barbaresco. Right. right. So, so the microclimate is more is closer to the first hill of Barbaresco, for example, Montaribaldi, the first part of Faire. It's closer to them compared with the with the high uh, highest crew in Trezo. Oh, so it shares more in common with some of the bordering Barbaresco hills than it does with what we think of as as Trezo. Yeah, especially talking about the altitude. Then, if we think about the the terroir, this is amazing because everywhere you move in that region, uh, you find small and big and big difference. So um, I'm thinking about the difference we find in between of uh, Rambone and Montaribaldi, they are on the same altitude. Rambone is the last crew of Trezo, Montaribaldi, uh, in that way, the first of Barbaresco, but we are quite different soils. So, um, Rambone, we always consider as a very long life crew. I mean, in terms that the wine from there are able to age for a very long time. Um, they always have very good freshness, very good wild mint flavor good acidity, good tannins that preserve the wine for a very long time. Talking about Montaribaldi, so on the other side of the hill where we have the, um, the beginning of Barbaresco, we are experimenting making wine only since two years. But we already have an idea on how the wine comes out of the crew. And there we have uh, more juicy wine, probably more ready to drink with very sweet tannins. And so, yeah, this is talking about, about the terroir in Langa. It's uh, probably sometimes hard to find the difference in between of very big areas because then everywhere you move, everywhere you try to make small vinification, you find huge difference in terms of style. The difference between the soil and Ramboni and Monteribaldi, for instance, are they the same soil or are they different? They are, they are a little different. So in, uh, in Ramboni, we have basically the soil is made with uh, clay and lime. Um, limestone limestone yeah sorry on Montaribaldi we have a lot of a lot of limestone it's a very light soil it's never you don't see it in any dark strips in the soil and this is this is the main difference then they are quite similar in terms of stiffness both feel very very steep with a great exposure but there is a big a quite big difference in terms of how they face so um, Rombone is a south-southwest Monteribaldi is a full salve. Mm, mm, it means that in Ramboni we can have a full salve exposure in the beginning of the hill, but then in the last in the last part it turns pretty much to the west. And there is a place where we can always preserve good freshness in the wine. Perhaps usually not the big structure of the full salve, but a lot of elegance. Uh, Monteribaldi is, is a full salve. Uh, where we are is a really full salve. It's funny because we, we started making wine there in 2013 and 2013 and 2014 have been two very fresh vintages. So um, the challenge will be in the, in the first hot vintage we will have. You know, it's, I say a challenge because you always learn something about wine, about making Nebbiolo every time you move out of your crew, every time you try to make a Nebbiolo from a new crew, a new terroir, you need to learn something new on how to handle this, this grape. And this is what we are doing now with Monteribaldi. So you find that you have to handle the Rambone fruit different than the Monteribaldi fruit, even though it might be both Nebbiolo. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Because now we have more experience with Rambone. So we well know that with the Rambone, we have always good freshness. So even in the hot vintage, we are not scared about the hot weather because we always 
preserve good acidity, a good fresh in terms of Puketu. So if we want to try to have a full maturation, we are not scared about heavy smell, too much sweetness. But, so we are pretty sure about that. But on the other side, we know that in Rambone, in Rambone Vineyard, you always need to have a 100% full maturation of the tannins because they are quite uh, strong. And so in the vintage when the weather is too hot, so the tennis can't get to the maturation to the top, or in, in the very cold vintage, we know that when, we, when it's the right moment to pick up the grapes, we pick, but then in winery, we pay a lot of attention to any fermentation because sometimes you need to divide the skin and seeds to, from the wine before the end of the oil fermentation. So you need to stop the maceration earlier in order to don't put too much green tennis into the wine. Talking about Montarivaldi, uh, for the short experience we are doing now for the moment, we have seen that in the last two years, uh, with a good maturation, so we, we, we fortunately had a great maturation in the last two years, the maceration were pretty, pretty long. So um, we, we had, in 2013, we had nearly five weeks of maceration and fermentation together, and 2014 was nearly the same. And the extraction of tannins there is always very light from the beginning of the fermentation to the end. So from the moment in which you have a lot of sugar into the, into the wine to, to the zero. So what do you have planted in Rambone in terms of grape varieties? In Rambone, we have basically Nebbiolo grape, but also Barbera and Dolcetto. So the three varieties that we grow in the estate are Dolcetto, Barbera and Nebbiolo. On the three crews, Manzola, Rambone, Montaribaldi, we have Nebbiolo. But Dolcetto Barbera are only on Rambone crew. Oh, okay. Um, so what's it like to grow those different grapes in Rambone? I mean, how do you see the differences between growing Dolcetto, Barbera, and Nebula? Uh, first of all, the, the place where we, where we place the different grapes. For the Dolcetto to, to have the best freshness and the best fruit possible, we, we place the, the vineyard in the most fresh exposure. So not in the full south, but uh, where the, the hill and turning west, or on the other side, where, where the east side beginning. You don't want uh, the dolcetto to get too ripe? Uh, no, because we want the dolcetto, we want to handle dolcetto as a everyday wine. It's always been for Piemonte. So dolcetto, it's always been the everyday wine, an easy drinking wine for lunch, for dinner. And we want to try to produce a wine like that. And the dolcetto from, from Rambone, but from Trezzo in general, personally, is a good dolcetto because you have a combination of big bouquet, but also a good structure and good tennis. Yeah, you, it's very hard to find a, a, a dolcetto in Trezzo, which is too too light. And, and so for this reason, we are not looking for a top exposure to, to improve the complexity, but more to, to the fresh side. And talking about the Barbera, the Barbera is... All the Barbera vineyards uh, are in, in, the, in the best exposure, so in the south southwest. And basically, we have two Barbera vineyards. One that is younger is from 20 to 25 years old that we are using produ to produce the Barbera d'Alba on Rambona Cru. And one which is older uh, was placed in 1946 by my grandfather that we are using now to produce the, the Seyfile, so our blend with Barbera and Nepiolo. That Barbera is a very is a great vineyard. Uh, we are very lucky to to, to make wine from there uh, because you know in in the last years, the last thirty years, many old Barbera vineyards have been removed from the top exposure because the the Nebbiolo was placed there. You can make more money on the Nebbiolo, right? And then there is more more requests. Nebbiolo is more important in the, in the mind of the people, but then the Barbera, is, the Barbera in the top exposure is a really great wine, really great wine. And once more, if the Barbera, if, if you make Barbera from an old vineyard like that. So we are keeping this vineyard, 70 years old. It, it's, it's a good age. The quantity produced is, is, a, is quite low now at the moment, but the quality is great. So we're keeping making wine from there as long as we can. What about the Nebbiolo? What's it like to grow? Uh, the Nebbiolo, we, uh, we have different, different vineyards at the moment on, uh, on Rambone, different age, because when you have such a small estate of 10 hectares, you need to keep in mind that you must always have all vineyard to produce 
top crew Barbaresco and something younger for the Barbaresco. So it means that we can't replace all the vineyard in a single time. Otherwise you lose all the complexity from the, from the old vineyard. So every few years we replace small parcels of Nebbiolo. So at the moment we have the youngest vineyard is five years old at the moment. And the oldest, which is 53 of Nebbiolo. Oh, okay. 53 year old. 53. Right. Yeah. So we have a combination of San Miquet clone in the, in the youngest and Lampia clone in the oldest one. So the old vines are Lampia and what you're planting now are some of it's Miquet. Yeah, right. Uh, the oldest are uh, always Lampia because the reason, historical reason for that, because, you know, the Lampia makes the, the berries a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, many wine growers, they used to sell at least part of the grape to, to the few big wineries, and they used to sell the grape by weight. I see. So it means bigger grape, more money. So that was the reason. But now we know that we, we can reach a, a, a very high quality using a, a part of Miquette because the banners we have with the skin in the Miquette is great. You have a very good extraction of noble tannins from the skin, noble parts of the color, the, the bouquet. And this is why in the younger, uh, in the new vineyard, we are using the, the Miquette variety. So the Miquette grapes end up being smaller. Yeah, it's a little bit smaller. The berries are a little bit smaller and more rare. And you get more skin to the juice. Right. So then how do you go about vinifying those different grape varieties? The Dolcetto, the Barbera, the different kinds of Nebbiolo that you have? What You said it tends to vary with the kind of vintage it is, but what's your strategy in general for vinification? All the vinification are always made in the stainless steel tanks, and they are pretty traditional. Comparing with many years ago, the big difference in the, in the temperature control, which is very important for us, but then the rest of the fermentation is quite traditional. It means that we, we start the fermentation with um, the wine that at that time is still Jewish, uh, with skin and seeds for Dolce de Barbera and Nebbiolo, for all the three grapes. And then we go, we go during the fermentation, we pump over the wine on the skin, and sometimes we, we break the skin. to so punch it down sometimes. Right. Because... You know, when you pump over the wine, it finds always the same corridor to fall down. Mm. So if you want a full extraction, you need sometimes to break to break down this this uh, cap of skin. And this is what we do. Then, of course, the fermentation for the three grapes are quite different. The dolcetto is the, sh- the shortest one. So um, usually we we have a fermentation maturation maceration together for approximately one week. Could be seven. It could be eight days. Could be nine days. But that's the average. The fermentation of Barbera, it's usually longer. With the Barbera, we are a little bit less nervous because it's not as tannic as the Nebbiolo and not as tannic as Dolcetto too. So if we know the grapes are have reached a good maturation in vineyards, we go also for three, four weeks, especially with the Barbera for the Cefile, because there the skin is always a little bit stronger, thicker, so um, it takes more time to extract. And finally, we have the Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, the strategy for the Nebbiolo is every year different. This is the fermentation that change more according to the different vintage. The only idea we have in the beginning of the, of the fermentation is that usually the um, fermentation of the Nebbiolo for the Lange Nebbiolo is a little bit shorter and the fermentation of the Nebbiolo for the Barbaresco is a little bit longer. Uh, but there is something more in terms that we produce four wines made with the 100% Nebbiolo grapes. So Lange Nebbiolo, classic Barbaresco, Barbaresco single vineyard Manzola, Barbaresco single vineyard Trombone. But when we do the vinification, we do the fermentation in at least nine different tanks. And this is because we, to try to reach the top quality, we do very, very small harvest in, in very small plots when the grapes are completely mature and we do all for different fermentation, very small fermentation. So it's micro lot fermentation. Right. Because you're wanting to pick smaller amounts of grapes and you need to be able to ferment them in a way so you can't put them all together. Because right. you don't want to wait because some will be over or under the kind of ripeness that you want. Yeah, right. And this is because if you want to try to reach the top quality 
I'm thinking about the vineyard of Manzola. Uh, Manzola has 42 rows. And some of the rows are at the top of the hill, where it's very steep. And other are in the medium part, where it's a little bit more sweet, the steepness. So you can imagine that the, the, the maturation could be a little different. We are not talking about huge difference. But if you want to try to reach the top result with an Nebbiolo, you need to pay attention to that. So um, if you are on the Manzola vineyard during the harvest time, you can see eight rows on the top harvested, and then probably two in the middle were steep again, and, and grapes on the all other vines. Or sometimes you can see the, the beginning of the rows harvested, because that vines are not in competition with any, any other. The vines that are at the end of the row don't have another vine next to them on one side. Yeah, right. So this is what, what we do to, to make very small vinification, small harvest first. And then when we go in winery, we do different fermentation and we don't blend the wine after the fermentation. We, we just wait usually for one year. So um, after the monolactic fermentation, after a few months of aging, we have a better idea on the result of the wine. And if the quality is high enough, we choose first the Barbaresco Manzola and what will be the Barbaresco Rambone. Then we choose what is the Barbaresco Classico. And that's, this is usually a blend of Manzola and Boy together. And finally, what is still in, in the tank will be the Lange Nebbiolo. That usually it comes from the younger vines. How long does it take Nebbiolo to go through a mallow? Is that a fast process or a long process? Yeah, that's a good question because there is no hardware. <laughs> it depends on the vintage. But we always try to do the malati fermentation right at the end of the, of the alcoholic fermentation. So we keep the wine in steel for the model fermentation and we warm the room uh, using the eating. So, and usually we do that before the end of the year. So you can imagine that the, the Nebbiolo usually is harvested in late October. There is one month for the fermentation, then we rack the wine. And finally we try to have the malolactic fermentation before the end of the year. Um, and usually we do that. Usually we do that. So you can consider a couple of months after the, the harvest. And what kind of wood do you use when you age the wine? So after malati fermentation, uh, we rack the wine in wood for the aging, and uh, it depends on the on, on the grapes. So the part that we consider possible to be a Barbaresco Rambone, we age the first year in barrique, so it, that's French oak, and the second year in a big bottle, so twenty five hectoliters barrel made with Slavonian oak. So it gets racked a few times then. It's racked before you do mallow, and then it's racked into wood, and then it's racked into another wood. Yeah, right. And usually, you can consider, on average, we rack the wine every six months. Not every time we, we need to give a lot of oxygen to the wine. If we need, we give racking the wine, of course. But if it, don't, if it doesn't need, we, we don't do that. But we just rack the wine every six months to clean the, the, the wood, and then we put the wine in again. And... Yeah, regarding the aging, the Langene Biolo is aged for 14 months in, in big barrels made with Slavonian oak. The Barbaresco Classico, two years in big barrels. Barbaresco Manzola, two years in big barrels. And as we told, Barbaresco Rambone, one year in barrique and one year in big barrel. Because you're picking the lots from Manzola and Rambone that you want to be bottled as Manzola and Rambone, you know, as opposed to Barbaresco Classico or Langene Biolo, you must have some idea of what those are supposed to taste like, like what a Rambone is supposed to taste like or a Manzola is supposed to taste like when you taste through those different lots to decide which is going to go into the crew designated bottles. So what should those wines taste like? What should a Rambone taste like and what should a Manzola taste like? That's a very good question because uh, the meaning to produce a single vineyard is to find the the right specific characteristic of the vineyard. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And Manzola and Rambone are two bordering crews, but two very different styles of Nebbiolo. And this is thanks mainly to the soil because the exposure is the same, the same hill. Uh, the altitude is right the same. I mean, Manzola is a little bit lower, but we are talking about 10 meters, 30 feet, so not, not as much. But we have different tastes. So Manzola is the really pure, elegant expression of, of Barbaresco. 
We have very delicate wine there. Uh, we have great minerality. Probably not the biggest tractors, but it's an, an enjoyable Barbaresco. And Rombone on the other side is much more masculine, powerful, intense. Uh, on Rombone, we have usually most fresh tannins, acidity that require a longer time to, to get balanced. And that's also the reason why we use the barrique the first year. Um, so the Manzola comes from the vineyard, very delicate, very feminine, and we just age in the big barrels. The Barbaresco Rombone that comes from the vineyard, more aggressive, and we aged the first year in barrique. The barrique that we use are three quarters of the barriques are used. So we divide in four parts, new, second passage, third passage, and fourth passage. And this is because finally you can feel in the glass what is the terroir from Rombone, but, but they make a great work on the, on the structure of the wine. So um, we never said that we don't want to use the barrique at all, or, or we are kind of modernist and we don't use the big bear at all. Our goal is, to, uh, is that we and the people take the glass and feel what is Rambone and what is Manzola. Uh, pure Rambone and pure Manzola. But then if we need some barrique or some body to, to get there, this is something that we decide, but this is more something that the uh, terroir ask us. Yeah, so that's why we have two different aging. The Manzola is more of a delicate wine. Does that imply that it's a different soil than what you would find in Rambone? Yeah, right. Basically, the, both vineyards are with a, a mix of clay and limestone. But the main difference is that in Manzola, we have also some sandy outcrops. So we have like, like sandy lines in the soil. They are not the, the, the main part of the soil, absolutely. But this small difference make a big difference into the wine. This is because the Nebbiolo is very sensitive to the different soil. So this is what is the most amazing thing talking about Nebbiolo. And now we're talking about two vineyards that are bordering. So in between of the two vineyards, there are like 50 meters, 150 feet, and you feel a big difference. But there is something more. I, I told you we, we do different vinification, main vinification, even inside the same crew. And when we do vinification inside the Rambone crew, yeah, usually four or five years, you can feel different style of Nebbiolo. And this is really amazing with this grape. And you also make a blend of Barbera and Nebbiolo. And what's the inspiration for that? Because that seems a little unusual to blend the two. Yeah, that's true. Because when you drink the wines from Langa today, usually you find everywhere wines made with a single grape, single mono varietal. But in our tradition, we have... Sometimes the idea we, we have, and we had the idea to blend Barbera and Nebbiolo for many reasons. First, because the, these two are the main grape of Piemonte and more and more because they are like complementary grapes. So they have very different characteristics. Barbera is a very soft grape, uh, very juicy, very smooth, but with a good acidity. And Nebbiolo is much more intense, complex, tannic. So um, they have very different characteristics. In the past, when, we, when I talked with my uh, grandfather, for example, he's 91, when we talk about the, the, the old wines, the old way to produce the wines, he remembered that in the past, when they didn't a uh, big selection of grapes in the vineyard, finally at the harvest in many vintages, they had big quantity of grapes on the vines. Doing that, many times the Nebbiolo was too tannic because the maturation of the tannins was not complete. Uh, so when they arrive in winery, they, they make wine from, uh, from, that gra from those grapes. And finally, when they tasted the wine, it was too tannic. So what they did was just to taste the wine, say, mm, that's too tannic. Let's put some Barbera in to make the wine smoother. And this is what they did. Or on the other side, when the Barbera was too light in terms of structure, they put some Nebbiolo in to make the, the wine a little bit more powerful. So this is something we have in our tradition. And the, the idea of the Seifile, it starts more or less there. And then because, mainly also because we haven't, we had this wonderful vineyard that produced such a small quantity of grape, but with an absolutely wonderful quality. Uh, so the idea was to to use this vineyard to produce a top wine because there is a, a funny history behind, you know, uh, 
not really today, but in the past, all the wineries uh, left a small vineyard to produce the, the wine for the family. And for my family, that was the vineyard to make the wine for the family. But my father, my grandfather, they saw that every year, even, even if they, they didn't take care a lot on, on that vineyard, they, they were more focused on the other um, in the beginning. The wine from there was always excellent, excellent. This is why historically my family always made wine from there for themselves because they wanted to bring good wines. And, and so they, they, tried, they tried to do something more. And they start bottling the wine, uh, the Barbera, that Barbera is a single vineyard. And they put 20% on the Bioloin. So it's a blend 80% Barbera and 20% on the Biolo. For that reason, to give to the Barbera uh, more taste, uh, more smell, bigger bouquet, uh, more intensity, more elegance, thanks to the tennis. So that's the, the reason why Sefido was born in 1986. The first vintage was a test and then officially released in uh, 1988. So your grandfather's still alive and your father still works with the winery. What were their histories like with the production of the wine? How did it evolve into the domain that it is today? Yeah, um, yeah. my, my grandfather is still alive and my father is full-time involved in winery. And my grandfather not, but is <laughs> always ready to give uh, his suggestion. He's really, really focused on the winery till at 91. Um, despite he had in the beginning a very different idea of wine because we need to focus on how was the life when my grandfather started to make wine so he, he was born in 1923 and he started to make it wine alone uh, just after the war after he was prisoner in Germany at that time as I told you before the life was very hard people were really poor so they were more focused on survive than quality uh, and that's the reason why the, uh, nobody think about the green harvest, for example, um, was something very, uh, I would say, crazy for them. They just try to, to produce as much as they can to live as better as they can. Finally, the, the, the revolution uh, was in, in the late 70s, uh, beginning, the first beginning of 80s, when my father... Uh, decide to stop at the winery. The life was changing in those years. People started to to live better, and they had a new idea of wine. Uh, my father, but also many other producers of his generation, they started to drink wine also from outside Piemonte. They have been in contact with great wine men of those years, and they tried to start a quality work with the grapes. Uh, so first changing the barrels, starting to, to, to do the green harvest. And it was not that easy at the time. I remember my father always tell me that the first green harvest he did was, were in late seventies was something, uh, <laughs> very funny because, uh, he was forced by my grandfather to pick all the grapes that he, he cut away and to throw away far from the vineyard. So in, in that way, nobody could see uh, what my father did because for the religious people uh, the fruit you have on the vine is something that god is giving you and if you, if you cut away what the god is giving you you are you are a crazy man you know uh, but finally so it, my my grandfather born with the, with that idea of of uh, vineyard of winemaking but as soon as my father tried to to change it uh, in, in few years he was absolutely agreeing with you and they always say it even today, uh, I can't understand why we, we thought about our wine is a good wine because the best wine we have today. So, my, so the, the revolutionary soul of the, of the estate was absolutely my father when, when he started to work in the winery in late 70, beginning of 80. And that's about the same time. I mean, the 80s was when you separated out from the cooperative. Yeah, right. So uh, officially, we, we start to to bottle the wine as Nada Firenze in 1982. That time, my grandfather and father, they complete, they, they already started before, but in 1982, they stopped to sell the part of the grapes they used to sell before. And they they start to make the wine, of course, only with, with the grape from the property and with a single focus, single goal that was the quality. And what about your own route with the wine? How did you get involved with the winery? 
I always lived on the winery, uh, so I I grew up with the with the wine in the instead of the blood probably, <laughs> and I, I, I to be honest, uh, I always had the passion for the wine. I grew up working sometimes in the winery too. Uh, you know, when you are involved in 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 a family business and much more in a winery, you you feel you you leave the work of your parents. Uh, especially in the in the high moment of the season, so the harvest time, the fermentation, uh, everybody in the family had the winemaker had with the harvest, and so it was the same for me. When I was eighteen, I I, I didn't want to stop at home for work, so I decided uh, to study something else, and I was in in, in Torino studying physical therapy for kids. But this is funny because everybody asked me why you. You grew up there, you study physical therapists, you are in the winery now. Um, because I, I already knew when I was it, when I studied something else that they absolutely wanted to make wine. And this is why I work as a sommelier for four years during my during the university. So <laughs> and, and this is funny. And the day after graduation I was working in winery. Uh, and because because this is my simply my, my my passion. What was it like working as a sommelier? It was a great experience. Uh, I was very happy for that. Uh, I had the chance to to taste uh, so many wines, and this was yeah, it was for me uh, not not a work, but it was more like uh, going out with friends uh, because yeah, I had the opportunity to taste so many wines, so many good wines that I I can't taste absolutely every day by myself. So it was absolutely great. Because thinking about the Piemonte, I can't think of a lot of young people at the States who have worked as sommeliers, or old people. I can't think of a lot of people who worked as sommeliers who are making wine in the Piemonte. Yeah, no, that, that's right. That's right. Uh, that's right. But if you... Making wine is something different. But even today, I'm making wine since some years today. And even today, when I think about that experience, I'm I feel lucky because when... Making wine, I, I taste wine every day, but usually now our own ninety nine percent of the wine I taste are my wines. Not because I don't know about the bottles, but because we are in winery all day making the wine, so we taste ninety nine percent of uh, of the wines are our wine, and it's a good experience. But it's I think it's very focused on your wines, and if you if you work as a sommelier, you have a very open mind idea because every day you taste so many wines from all over the world all over italy and that's absolutely great and this is something that we as winemaker we need to pay a lot of attention because we absolutely must taste wines out of the job otherwise if you are too focused on your wines the wine your wines become the best ever made but you need always to be very open mind uh, and this is a great part of the job of course because you when you are out you need to taste other wines so what have been the standout or learning vintages or the vintages that are very memorable for you in the production of Nata Fiorenzo? What are vintages that have really stood out in your mind? Every time I think about that, there are two two different moments. So vintages that I've only tasted but not uh, lived. So the old, old vintages. Wines and, that your dad and grandfather made. Right. And other vintages that we are producing since I'm in the winery. And... Talking about the first, there are vintages like the late 80s, I love, so 89, for example, and 92, so the beginning of 90s. These are the two, my favorite two vintages before 2000, let's say. Yeah, there is also 96, 99, but 89 and 90 are the two my favorite vintages uh, before 2000. Then after that, fortunately, after uh, 2000, there are so many good vintages. But I think for two reasons. First, because we have been quite lucky with the weather. And second, because the work that we are doing now in Vineyard is much, much better in the past. And so we are able to manage also uh, difficult vintages and to not only to manage, but to reach a top result in, in the medium vintage. Uh, this, is, this is really great. You feel like that's been a big change, that the medium vintages are better in the bottle. Today. It is, it is. Because, uh, because the work in Vineyard now is much better than in the past, I'm always talking about vineyard because 95% of our work is in vineyard. Uh, of course, the winery, the winery work is important, but the most important part, uh, it finished with the fermentation. So, and the, the 
the top part is that every every time for every vintage in, in the vineyard. This uh, this is really important with grapes with Nebbiolo. If you have good grape when you go in the winery, you can produce a, a great wines. But if you if you get to the winery with medium grape, there is nothing you can do to to reach the top quality. That's that's very important. And talking about the last vintage, the last 14 years, so from 2001 to today, I'm really in love with, with the banners of 2001. I really enjoy that vintage. I was in love so much with 2006. Uh, then we had two years later, 2008, which to me now it starts to seem uh, like a 2006, more, but more banners. So, mm-hmm. More freshness. Right. So the I'm, weight of six, but more freshness. And the tennis are not as strong as 2006, so I'm really falling in love with 2008. Uh, and then there are other good vintages, but the one that make me more excited is probably 2014. Hmm. Not because it's the last, but because 2014 has been a very hard year for us, very hard vintage, but we, we, we had fight a lot uh, from March until September. Uh, hoping for a beautiful end of season and finally September was one of the best September we, we had in the last years so it was uh, sunny was uh, without rain almost without rain uh, was warm during the day and fresh during the night so it was really a perfect month and I'm very excited to show the, the Nebbiolo wines from 2014 in the next years because we I think that we 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 have great great quality in the building in the cellar at the moment. In terms of harvesting, where you are, Rambone, Manzola, are you harvesting later than other parts of Barbaresco? Are you harvesting before Barolo often, or where does it fit? Uh, usually, we harvest a few days before Barolo. If you compare with other Barbaresco vineyard, there is not a, a huge difference. There's not a huge difference. But if you, if you think about the difference between Barone and Barbaresco, that's true. Uh, we harvest big, before a big number of vineyards in, in Barolo area. And it's also because many vineyards are higher in altitude than where we are. And so they, they, it takes probably sometimes four or five days more. But yeah, not, not in every vintage, but usually it's like that. And what, what we are trying the last years, I think that's, uh, that's a good part of the quality process we are always trying to to it's it probably sounds simple but it's not we always take a risk and try to go as long as we can with the with the grape on the vine um because we we have seen the in the year that's really absolutely important one week for life is nothing but one week or two days one day right before the harvest that's is alive for for the grape it's really it's really important. It's amazing how the, the maturation can change in, in a couple of days, and it changed so much. So, and it's never it's, it's nothing very hard to discover because you know the way we go to the maturation, we have all the analysis, sugar, acidity, and everything is everything is checked. You know? But with the Nebbiolo, there is something. Um, there is a feeling you have uh, looking the grape, touching the grape, and tasting it that is is better than all the analysis. So there is a moment in which you, f- you see the Nebbiolo, the Nebbiolo grape, you touch the Nebbiolo grape, it's no more strong, but it's very like relaxed. The skin is very relaxed. And, and you know that that is the right moment to pick the grapes. And, and it happened that you go into the vineyard today and, and the grape is still quite strong. Very, it's, it's still very strong. And then you go in the vineyard tomorrow or after a couple of days, and how it looks is completely different. You know that that, that is the right moment to, to harvest. If I were to think about the differences between Barbaresco and Barolo in general terms, what should I think about? Uh, that's a, a billion dollar question. Well, of course, it, it, it's surely possible to find difference between the two, the two regions. Many people ask about that, and usually the answer is that the Barbaresco style is a little bit more feminine uh, because it's usually less austere but it's very elegant a little bit more fresh and this is the reason why it's called the the queen of the italian wine 
and and Barolo on the other side is called the king of Italian wine because it's more masculine. It's usually more a bit more austere, more intense. But then, and that's that's true. Uh, but then, tasting more and more wines, what my idea is that when you have in, such an amazing thing as Nebbiolo, you can't stop in front of two different areas like that. But you need to to try to taste different Nebbiolo from different crews, different single vineyard, uh, because there is a word behind. So many different styles. You can find somewhere a very very powerful Barbaresco, very austere Barbaresco. On uh, in other vineyard, you can find a more sweet, feminine Barolo. So. It's amazing to try and try and try. And for your own wines, how should I approach them? I mean, at what age should I usually start opening up a Rambone versus a Menzola? I mean, what, when do you start to enjoy them in general? Uh, in general, uh, we talk about 10, 12 years to reach the perfect balance on the Rambone. And let's say 8, 10 years on the, on the Menzola. As you told, we are talking in general because we have huge difference between warm and, and classic fresh vintage. So sometimes uh, I'm thinking about two following vintages, 2009-2010. 2009 was much warmer than 2010. We feel in the wine. Uh, wines are more ready to drink, more soft in terms of tannins. And 2010 was more fresh, very fruited classic vintage. But and there is only one year in between. But when you taste the wine, it seems the difference seems bigger. So of course, the warm vintage you can approach. You can approach the wine in, in, when you are younger. Sometimes even in six, seven years. Uh, with a classic vintage, you need more time. Talking about classic vintage, I'm thinking also about 2006, which was a very classic vintage. Today is to, is the beginning of 2015. So uh, we made the wine nine years ago, and if we wait a couple of years more, at least, will be absolutely better. Uh, then this is, I'm talking about the perfect balance in the wine. So let's say an average of 10 years, but then the life of the Barbaresco, of the Nebbiolo grape, it's, it's much longer, of course. It needs 10 years to reach the top, perfect balance, but then it stays there for depending on the vintage, other 10, 15 years or more before uh, start to, to, to going down. Danilo Nada of Nada Fiorenzo, he's seen the world behind Nebbiolo. Thank you very much for being here today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Danilo Nada of Nada Fiorenzo. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.